Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Sam Alexander with your news. Before we get to today's headlines, we'd like to welcome a new sponsor. Do you bite your nails? Do you smoke cigarettes? Do you chase the dragon and do it up behind the dumpster at CD motels? Then CDJ headphones are for you. Simply plug the headphone jack into any electrical outlet and place the headphones over your ears. It'll be over in a snap. CDJ headphones. Make something happen. Something. Something. Happen. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I am one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Kahn. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. Hey there, constant readers. And today we are on part one of Revival, chapters one through seven, and we have Josh leading us through the discussion. Yeah, let's get into it. I am so excited about this book. This is some, <laughs> This is a book that was like recommended to me the moment somebody found out I was doing a Stephen King podcast, and they've been wanting us to do it. And now we're finally doing it! Yay. Really? That... Yeah. that- surprises me mostly because this is also part of the reason this uh podcast exists is <laughs> the year before we started uh this was the first king book i read really probably 10 years yeah. got some opinions about it <laughs> but it made me yeah it, the same thing i'm like i want someone to talk about this book with and no one's ever heard of it ben Tonight, all your dreams come true. <laughs> Finally. The culmination of everything you ever wanted is going to be in this episode. After this book, we can call it quits. <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Uh, let's get a quick synopsis of the book so far. Uh, our book follows uh, Jamie Morton, who we meet at the beginning of this book as a child. I think he's what, like six? Yep. Six or seven. Yeah. And uh, all the way to where we're going to cover is he's he's a grown ass adult with some issues and his life seems to interweave and connect with Reverend Charles Jacobs. And uh, it's it's very interesting. So let's let's dive into it. We like I said, we begin when Jamie is a child. He's the youngest of six and uh, his his dad owns a an oil company or something with heat. Yeah, something with heat. <laughs> something, something heat related. Like he sells oil for heaters, mm-hmm. uh, and and they live in in a small neighborhood. Uh, they're not. They are like are comfortable, but they're not super well off. Um, and it's very interesting church going family. And we find out that their pastor at their church has died, and a new permanent replacement is coming into this church. And that is where we meet Charles Jacobs. Can I read something? Please, go for it. <laughs> okay, you guys can tell when I like a book because I always want to read an entire <laughs> paragraph right. to you. The first time I read this part, it's the introduction, basically. Mm-hmm. It kind of stuck out to me, but I hadn't gotten, I didn't know anything about the book because I've never read this one. So it didn't mean anything. And then I went back and I looked at it again and it really hit me hard. So this is it. And this is Jamie like reflecting back, you know, this is later in life and he's talking about just different things. And this is before he meets the pastor. He's talking about fate versus coincidence. I'm like, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) I want to believe it's the latter. I want to believe with all my heart and soul. When I think of Charles Jacobs, my fifth business, my change agent, my nemesis, 
I can't bear to believe his presence in my life had anything to do with fate. It would mean that all those terrible things, these horrors, were meant to happen. If this is so, then there is no such thing as light, and our belief in it is a foolish illusion. If that is so, we live in darkness like animals in a burrow, or ants deep in their hill, and not alone. That's kind of the theme of the book, is whether or not there is free will in the universe. Whether all of these coincidences that happen throughout the book, which we will get into, are driven by something, if they're meant to occur, or if it's all just random chaos. So like a deterministic view of the world. Exactly. We don't make choices. Things happen that lead us to that decision, and it feels like a choice, but it's not. Exactly. Because things are already in motion. And that is a fascinating topic of discussion like uh, it's a great thought experiment you know is there free will but it's also kind of my one of my big uh problems with the book is because there are these points like here that is a beautifully written passage uh the writing in this book is top notch Mm -hmm. yeah but then the majority of the book is just jamie's life and uh that theme it, it it comes in waves and it'll be like, oh, uh, here comes the reverend and uh, the, oh, something's going to happen. You know, this is important in some way. And then he leaves. And we're <laughs> like, oh, okay, so I guess it wasn't then. Okay, here he comes again. And then, then there's like 50 pages of like, oh, then I went on with my life. Doot, doot, doot. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's. I understand where you're coming from because there's like two different types of foreshadowing that I always find in books. Like one is that really frustrating. No, go back to that. I need that now. Mm -hmm. And the other, I don't know how to describe it. I just call it delicious foreshadowing. (laughs) And I feel like like this book is full of delicious foreshadowing. I 100% agree with that. I, I I completely understand. So you can't disagree because I gave it a cute name. Really, really deeply upsetting name you just gave that literary. Cute. Uh, <laughs> upsettingly cute uh, literary device. Uh, but I, I disagree because every time when he talks about Reverend Jacobs being his nemesis, I'm like, tell me about that. And nemesis is such a a powerful term for uh for an enemy like for an mm-hmm. antagonist i remember the uh the way it was first described to me the what's what's the difference between a mortal enemy and a nemesis and it's that if you are dangling off the edge of a cliff your mortal enemy will kick your hands and make you fall to your death if you're hanging off the edge of a cliff and your nemesis finds you they will help you up because they didn't push you off the cliff. I love that. <laughs> and it takes so long to get there <laughs> in this book. You're coming at this having read the whole book. Also true. <laughs> so so for now, I respectfully disagree. And later, I will change my mind. <laughs> That's fair. And I will uh, say to you guys, this is going to be such a hard episode. For <laughs> because uh, there are a lot of things that I pick up, picked up this read through that... I have a hard time reconciling with things that haven't happened yet. Okay. So there are a few points where I'm going to be like, there's this part of the book, this happens. Remember that this happened. (laughs) Some delicious foreshadowing. And we'll talk about it next episode. Yes. Delicious (laughs) foreshadowing. (laughs) Oh, man. And 
and, and it's it, it starts right out of the gate. They him saying, you know, they're going to be nemesis uh, nemeses, and then they meet when he's a child, mm-hmm. uh, and they they also talk about him. Uh, that he's going to be their new pastor. And then he casually says, he will be fired in three years. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, g- all right. Well, something something's going to go down. Not what I thought. <laughs> no, not at all what I thought. I'm sorry. There's just one more. For as beautiful as that opening passage was, I think so far, my favorite line of the book. And I think this is a six-year-old Jamie talking. When you want to feel better, call something a piece of shit. It usually works. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line so much. It's so good. <laughs> but he, that line kind of... It, it made me love this character already. He's yes. such a neat little boy. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm ready yeah. for this journey. He's a real precocious dude, <laughs> little kid, and uh, and all the characters. Honestly, I I love the character of Reverend uh, of Reverend Jacobs. I know. I'm waiting for him to be evil, and I'm not. Like, <laughs> wait, actually, I always like the bad guy. Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we first meet him, he's playing army men, and the the Reverend comes up, and he's just so genuine and kind and he does that thing that um if you want a little kid to like you you just treat him like an adult it is so um a a genuine friendship between these two characters right off the bat uh which i am now realizing completely uh goes against what i was saying earlier (laughs) uh but it it is a great uh the, the characters in this book are fantastic it's a perfect place to start a relationship that will turn into what yes. we will eventually see i guess we have uh jamie goes to to jacob's house like his his wife and child haven't arrived yet and they're still getting some stuff ready and and jamie goes to help and this is where we find out the uh fascination that jacob's has with electricity um we see that, but he he has all these gadgets that he's he's built. He he talks about like he's made his own batteries, and we see Peaceable Lake, which has a moving Jesus <laughs> that walks on water, but it actually walks on uh, on a track. So it's you know it's it's a trick. Mm. Um, but we see that he is uh, there's all these models, but Jacobs has not only built his own batteries, not only. Has he figured all this out? But he even created something that, what, what is it? It's a, a photoelectric cell that when you break in an invisible beam, it turns the lights <laughs> on and off. Like, this is... Mad scientist slash Yeah, this creature. is crazy mad science level. He he makes me feel like if I was ever going to want to go to church, it'd be his church. Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, the electricity obsession that Jacobs has... It almost borders on sci-fi, mm-hmm. like an yeah. interesting version of sci-fi, where this takes place so far in, what, it's the 60s? Early 60s. And he has essentially invented stuff that we know today <laughs> yeah. far before they actually existed. He says, uh, later on, actually, he tells Jamie, you know, one day TV is going to beam be beamed from satellites and we'll be able to reach. Yeah. And he's just so far ahead of his time that, uh, that's a bit of foreshadowing that, um, he's a preacher, but electricity is his God. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> spoilers, Ben. <laughs> uh, basically. Yeah. I mean, well, he, he even describes it like when, before he shows in peaceful, like he says, do you want to see a miracle? And my next note was, oh, electricity is a miracle. 
And then it showed all that cool shit. And I was like, all right, electricity is a miracle. That is pretty cool. <laughs> then we get another piece of this delicious foreshadowing that uh, CM talked about. I am sorry. I hate that term. <laughs> I, I feel we, about delicious foreshadowing the way CM feels it. about don't fatty bags. <laughs> if I have to hear you guys say... No, delicious I, foreshadowing. I already suffered through that which shall not be said. That's true. It's your turn. This foreshadowing has an amazing mouth feel. <laughs> oh god. Hate it. Oh, oh, you made it you made it better, Ben. <laughs> uh, but he says that over over the next three years, Charlie's uh, wife and kid had left. His car was gone. Conrad, his brother, had lost his voice. Their uh, dad fixed a car and wrecked it. Uh, and one of his friends lost fingers in a grinder and one lost an eye to a cherry bomb. I was like, oh. Holy. And when I read that, I was like, oh, are we just glossing over those three years? Because it's like right at the beginning. And I was like, oh, I guess that happened in those three years. And we're not going to find out about it. But then it immediately jumps back. And we get all of that. And this is a great example of like, so I read that. And in my head, I'm like, oh, man. Like what? Something must have happened. His his wife left him, took the kid, took the car. You know, like his brother's going to be stricken down with some terrible illness or something like that. And none of these things are what happened. Hmm. I wish his his life his wife had left him. <laughs> oh, yeah. It would have been better. I almost messaged you guys when, when we got to, when I got to that part. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's one of the few uh, examples of when a divorce would have been a happier. <laughs> Uh, event. Okay, well, Ooh, we're doing some delicious foreshadowing <laughs> for the listeners. <laughs> uh, Ben's face! <laughs> yeah. Alright, well, uh, well, let's, okay, let's talk about uh, Patsy and Maury. Tag along Maury. Tag along Maury, which Jesus is... Jesus Christ, the most king-esque... <laughs> uh, th- there's... <laughs> we, we've heard from a few of our listeners that there's this um, conspiracy that King in the later... It is later king uh some of his books were uh ghost written yeah. by members of his family mm-hmm. and specifically um sorry listener i don't remember which one of you said this but this book in particular uh they say they think it was written by joe hill and the tagalong mori is 100% proof that it was not <laughs> I- when I started reading it, I was immediately drawn in the way I am to all of the Stephen King books that I love. So I, and I haven't finished the book, so I, I agree with you on that right now. I feel this feels like Stephen King to me. And I've read Joe Hill mm-hmm. and um, Owen too. Okay. So anyway, Patsy and Maury are um, Reverend Jacob's wife and two-year-old son. Is that right? right? Two. Okay. And they call him Tagalong Maury because he's like this cute little kid that just follows all the town kids everywhere. And they all kind of watch after him and take care of him. And they all really love him. And then Patsy, the wife, is described as this beautiful, kind, caring woman. And she plays the piano or the organ awesome. Mm -hmm. And all the boys are in love with her. And all the girls want to be her. And all the girls are in love with Reverend Jacob. So it's painting this really nice, gorgeous picture of this perfect family except you got that line about what's going to happen in three years (laughs) this whole opening is so idyllic it's it's like a uh it's like a norman rockwell painting in book form where it's just like oh it's a simpler time and they have this 
little small town church and everyone's like a big family. Mm-hmm. And boy, I hope nothing bad happens to him. It's <laughs> a Stephen King book. It'll no. be fine. I'm sure it'll be totally fine. And then we go to, uh, to we find out what happened to Conrad. Conrad went on a skiing trip with some rich friends because they have like a, a summer house in this town. They go on a skiing trip and one of the kids whacks him in the throat. With a ski pole. On accident. On accident. <laughs> Completely on accident. And they, they check out his voice. And uh, after he gets home, his like throat's all messed up. And the doctor says, oh, you know, your voice is going to keep getting hoarse. But it'll, you know, in a couple weeks, it'll be back to normal. And slowly, Khan just goes mute. And weeks pass. And I believe months mm-hmm. of it pass. And he is completely mute his voice is not coming back and it was so sad what it did to the family to the parents was really sad yeah there's a scene where and and even jamie at the age of six or seven whatever he is now can see what it's doing to his family and can see what this is doing to his brother and i think that was a year they said that there it was warmer than usual yeah so his dad didn't sell as much oil and they were really struggling financially. And to take him to a specialist was sort of out of their abilities at the time. And so they have this huge blow-up fight. And Jamie ends up running over to Reverend Jacob's house just in tears, which is also a very touching scene when he sees... Well, he didn't actually run to his house. He's running by and is stopped by his wife, Patsy, who sees that Jamie's really upset and brings him inside. It was that's such a, a perfect, uh, perfect moment. It's it's that fate that he he says he you know he was crying so hard he could barely see and he was running completely aimlessly and almost ran into the arms of Patsy mm-hmm. and, and he doesn't want to say anything at first but then he opens up and she's immediately like well you should you should talk to to Charlie and and takes him and they've they've got a shed out back which. Uh, Jacobs is working on some stuff. Uh, he's, he's using a rake to make an antenna, which is insane. Uh, just showing his progress. And he confides in him uh, everything that's going on. And Jacobs is like, you know what? Um, go home. Get your brother. Come back. I, I think I can do something. And, and so Jacobs performs his first miracle. Which is, oh my god. I love this scene so much. Uh, he he goes home and he gets Conrad and he gets uh, their sister, Claire. Claire. Yeah. Get, uh, and, and they come down and w- once they get there, they can like Jacobs is looking exhausted. <laughs> like He's looking a little <laughs> a little haggard, but he's got this this strap like this belt that has some padding on it. And he he's like he wraps it around Khan's throat. And he's like, there's a little voltage in here. You're going to feel a little bit, but it's don't worry. It's not going to electrocute you. It's not going to hurt. But if it does. Let me know right away and we'll stop uh, because I think your doctor was right. I think that I don't think it's permanent. I think that you just you need some some nerve stimulation and this is what this is built for. And he turns it on and he said before you right before he turns it on, he just says, expect a miracle. And then Khan talks. He, he oh, also hocks up a giant oh, loogie, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> it's such a kid thing to do. It's like his voice is like he like says something and he like gets so excited and he like the first thing he does is go hawk up a giant loogie <laughs> and 
Jacobs tells him to drink a lot of water, go home, tell your mother and father hello, then go to your room and thank God for returning your voice. Con walks in. His parents have just had this enormous fight. They're in the same room. They're not even talking to each other. And he says, hi, mom. Hi, dad. And the family <laughs> erupts. And like, the, the it's, I, I teared up. I was, it was, it was so emotional. Touching. I thought it was interesting too later. I think it's Jamie and Claire have this conversation where Claire had seen that Jacobs wasn't, like he wasn't confident in what he was doing or something. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said that by the look on his face, he didn't even think it would work. Yeah, Claire is an awesome character, and certainly nothing terrible is going to happen to her. Per- yeah, of course, <laughs> Claire. Claire's great, but Claire pulls him aside and, and is like, you know, he he says he has that invention. He didn't. He made that for you. Like he 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 loves you the most. He saw how much you were hurting and you wanted to fix it. So he spent all this time making this device. For you. For Jamie. For Yeah, for mm-hmm. Jamie. And all in one day. Yeah. Because she also, um, Claire's uh, so in touch with what's happening. She, throughout the book, uh, sees things. Mm-hmm. She's very perceptive. Yeah, yeah perceptive. She, she, she notices that he uh, had brought this out. It was still, there were wires all over the place. And that he had made it. In just the few hours between Jamie going home and getting them and coming back. Which is awesome! Which (laughs) leads to this uh, mad scientist uh, corollary. But for Mm -hmm. Jacobs, he is uh, a man of faith at the moment. But he has this uh, belief in electricity that is almost above his belief in God. Because earlier when he had shown... Jamie Peaceable Lake, like uh, Josh said, he says that Jesus walking on the water is a trick because it, there's a rail mm-hmm. that you can't see. And he even says, uh, Jamie has him like, oh, kind of like when he does it in the Bible. And uh, Reverend Jacobs is like, you know, sometimes I worry about that. Yeah. And so you have this sense of like he's struggling with his faith but he never struggles with his belief in electricity there's a duality in him but he's he's still a good preacher yes yeah well let's talk about for a time (laughs) (laughs) then let's talk about the moment that he loses faith uh ben do you want to yeah um give me the fun part yeah (laughs) (laughs) a man that we don't know uh, goes out driving his tractor, and uh, he he has epilepsy, you see, and he has a seizure behind the wheel, and and falls asleep. Ugh. And a woman we don't know is driving through town when she sees a woman staggering, staggering in the middle of the road, covered in blood and holding a heap in her arms. And the woman gets out of her car to help her and starts screaming when she sees that her scalp is hanging off (sighs) against her cheek. And the thing in her arms doesn't have a face. And we find out that uh, Patsy and Tagalong Maury do not survive. Man, what a fun book. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, and that leads to a really heartfelt, touching scene between Jamie's mom and Pastor Jacobs. It's, yeah, exa- it's further, the, the, the first quarter of this book is almost just a, you have, n- there's no sense of supernatural. It is just a slice of life. Yeah. Of these people and this tragedy that they go through. Because Jamie's mother says, Jamie, you have to stay home. I'm going to go see the Reverend. And she she goes and she struggles the 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 pain of her having to tell the Reverend mm-hmm. Jamie and and Patsy kind ha- of have been killed. Added to that, the you know, it's a small town. And there's already these rumors that, oh, well, you know, so-and-so smelled alcohol on the reverend's wife from time to time. And so there's already this rumor circulating that she was drunk and it was her fault and that's why they're dead. And so his mother is just this like no-nonsense, caring, compassionate person. And it's awesome that she's the one who takes on that responsibility because I don't think any other character in the book that we've met could have done it appropriately. I do love the moment when Jamie asks his dad, like, was was that man right when he said that she that she would she was drunk? Mm-hmm. And his dad just says that it doesn't matter because it, it doesn't. The damage has been done. Right. Uh, oh, was it fate? <gasps> um, <laughs> I, I actually really loved um the added there's almost a there's like a second layer of tragedy in this section of the book because uh, the whole book is basically Jamie's memoirs that he's writing uh as an old man and this whole segment of how he relates uh what happened to Jamie and Patsy more he or Jamie uh yeah to Patsy and Maury he only knows because his mother told him mm-hmm. on her deathbed. So while we're hearing about this tragedy that befalls the the Reverend and his family, we're also having to deal with the fact that Jamie's own family ha- has suffered and he's suffering his mother going through this late stage cancer. Yeah. And um, it is a real downer. <laughs> because one way to put it yeah um nothing no one in this book uh escapes sounds like you're doing something no no <laughs> no n- no not <laughs> never say that word to me again how dare you I, I tried to change it and he's still not happy. Yeah, that, he looks even he, angrier. Sam, I think you should look keep me in the eyes. Okay, yeah, you're right, Josh. Say you're doing something tasty. <laughs> no. Okay, well, Bad. when you say it like that, am, you make me sound like a weirdo. <laughs> Bad, CM. Go sit in the corner for the rest this of the podcast. This is payback, Ben. <laughs> this is a long time coming. Oh. You this thought I episodes. forgot about that like episodes ago. <laughs> I don't forget anything. <laughs> oh my god. Let's get to the terrible sermon. We have had the terrible sermon referenced by name to us a couple times so far. We know that this is the thing that cost him his job. We know that this is a, a major catalyst. And finally, the uh the sermon before Thanksgiving. 
which is his first sermon back after the death of his family. And the only note I made in reading the terrible sermon was, holy shit, it's so much more brutal than I thought. Uh, the terrible sermon is, yeah, it's pretty brutal. But also, with my own personal belief, I couldn't read it without going, yep. I, you know, I kind of felt <laughs> the same way. Like, it, in a, a very brutal summary mm-hmm. of the terrible sermon, uh, Jacobs basically just says that um, life isn't fair and God is bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) he gets up at the pulpit and goes through this list. He's like, you know that I've suffered uh, a loss recently. And um, I started doing some research and he starts listing off these newspaper clippings Mm. of there was a town in Texas who um, was hit by a horrible tornado and uh, no one in this church's congregation died. Everyone survived. And so they all gathered together in the church, everyone in the town, in this church, to celebrate and thank God. And the church was hit by another tornado, and everyone died. He makes a compelling argument, like you guys said. Yeah, you said <laughs> earlier that he he was uh, a good preacher. And I think he's still a pretty good preacher. It's just his message has changed. Yeah, his yeah. message is oh, yeah. what typical churchgoers would consider blasphemous, which I think is a shame because I think that's an opportunity for them to really like dig into his message and find an even stronger sense of faith maybe than what they went into with. But they seemed more scared of it. Mm. And he didn't stop until it took Jamie's dad to tell him, okay, hey man, you need to, you need to stop. And he's like, yeah, nothing, nothing that I say is going to make a difference anyway. But then Jamie says it did to one little boy. It did. And I thought that his last point was kind of like just super dark and cool. And it kind of goes to what you're talking about, Ben, with his duality of faith. You know, is it God or is it electricity? Is it the lightning? Mm -hmm. He says, just one more thing. We came from a mystery and it's to a mystery we go. Maybe there's something there, but I'm betting it's not God as church understands him. Look at the babble of conflicting beliefs and you'll know that. They cancel each other out and leave nothing. If you want truth, a power greater than yourselves, look to the lightning. And he goes on, but that's just yeah, cool. It's super cool. The, the <laughs> writing is really fantastic. It really is. Yeah, it's interesting that he his his faith is absolutely shattered. It, it shifts his zealotry over to what was his hobby and becomes his complete obsession which is electricity um but we don't hear any more about it for a while because he leaves yeah he got straight up fired if you can believe it <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and how beautiful his last moments with jamie uh yeah jamie goes to see him as he's loading up the car which he tried to get conrad to come with him and conrad wouldn't and that pissed being me off a bitch <laughs> conrad is being a little bitch about it like that dude brought your voice back <laughs> Mm-hmm. But he goes and and they have that that heart to heart. Do you want to talk about that, Sam? Jamie ends up. I think he sneaks around like the nosy old lady. Yep. You know, every <laughs> so Stephen, Stephen King story has her. The lady <laughs> yep. who knows everything. Yeah. So the nobody knows he's the, going there. The Mabel Worth of this story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you remember her name, yeah, of course. Oh man. <laughs> so he makes his way to Jacob's home, and he gets there and. 
Jacobs is like everything's being packed up and he just runs to him and he bursts into tears and he's telling him, you know, that he loves him. And Jacobs is telling him, you're my favorite. You always were. And he tells him he'll leave something for him. If he wants it, he can come back and get it. Which Mm -hmm. I thought was what it turns out to be is peaceable Uh, lake and the Jesus. And it's like, (laughs) <laughs> I love that he like takes it and he's so mad that that's what the <laughs> gift is that he throws it and he tells Jesus to go to hell. <laughs> the like the final act of him losing his faith. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was it. Yeah. Do you think that was on purpose? Do you think he left that as like a, oh, I really screwed up. I really could have fucked this kid's whole mentality over. Maybe if I leave him Jesus, it will his love for me will be transferred onto Jesus. Yeah. Like he'll, it, he'll keep his faith. Was he trying to save Jamie? I think, to, I think so. I think that that was a, no matter how you feel about me and what I'm going through at that point, he still, you know, cared enough about Jamie to be like, I don't want what I said to determine what you think. So don't forget what I taught you, but still make up your own mind. So he gives him an invention that uses electricity. That is a so good which, point. Which oh. god is he? Gosh, I didn't even think about any of this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I don't know. Like I'll I'll have to get through the rest of the book to make up my mind on that one. It's. We'll put a pin in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> put a pin on that. And then so we uh, let's get into our another our next beat of uh, fate versus coincidence. Well, because first oh. uh, I want to talk about how it transitions. From uh, from this, this book, um, kind of like uh, when we talked about Shawshank Redemption, this book handles the passage of time so fantastically. It's fluid. It yeah. flows, and there's a, a segment of this book where it it tra- uh, transitions from his childhood to his adolescence, where he says uh, he talks about movies again. Mm-hmm. He says at the start of the book, you know. In the movies, they call characters that recur your fifth business. And so this, he's he's comparing life to a movie again and says, you know, um, you never notice the transitions. And here comes, uh, what does he say? At one point, he, right before the transition, he says, and here comes the wipe or something yeah. like that. <laughs> something better than wipe, I think. But like, here comes the fade out. And then mm. it cuts to yeah. him as a teenager. I think yeah. that it was a really cool bit of a uh, bit of writing. Yeah, I think the the one that comes up later is like the only thing that separates a nerd from a god is a title card saying "14 years later." Yes, yes, <laughs> that is exactly it. It's so awesome. So our next instance of uh, of destiny, if you will, is uh, we find out about Hector the Barber. That when Jamie was a kid, he was at a friend's house, and uh, their grandpa turns out their grandpa could play the guitar. Well, it wasn't even Jamie; it was his older brother. Oh yeah, it wasn't even Jamie. It That's was, right. Uh, Con- it was yeah, it was Conrad because it's Conrad's guitar. Yeah, can play the guitar and cuss a lot. <laughs> yes, and he's just like the coolest old man. So Conrad gets a guitar, he learns how to play it, but he's like, eh, whatever at it. But eventually, Jamie gets the guitar because he's humble. I think. Conrad is playing football or something. Yeah, Conrad yeah. becomes the the cool star football player in high school, and Jamie's home alone because screw that. 
Uh, <laughs> and uh, he just picks up the guitar and teaches himself like three songs in the span of an afternoon. Yeah, that it's music fills that that space in his soul where his faith used to be. And so he, the, Jamie's God becomes music for all intents and purposes right now. <laughs> and then heroin. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's obsession. It's King's King is so good. I think the number one thing that he writes about is obsession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, everyone, Jacobs is obsessed with electricity and Jamie is uh, obsessive about music. To the point where if he mentions the E chord ever again, (laughs) uh, I will lose my goddamn mind. I felt like uh, you did in Joyland about (laughs) he he learns to play rock and roll. And, you know, every every rock and roll song, you can play it as long as you know the E chord. (laughs) And he will never not mention it. There are so many times I've wanted to bring up Joyland. In this episode, there's so many correlations. It's especially because there's direct reference. There's direct (laughs) reference, and the guy who calls out uh, um, Jacobs at the terrible sermon, his last name is Easterbrook. Oh, Oh, I didn't even notice (laughs) that. Roy Easterbrook. But did you guys catch your favorite line? Oh my god! I, I highlighted as soon as he said where no, the wait. air is rare. Oh, I was so rare. mad. <laughs> I was so I thought angry. of you immediately. <laughs> yeah, I highlighted that's, it. And that's it was later so angry. when Jamie <laughs> when Jamie ends up in uh, what Denver? Yeah, or, Colorado. Uh, and he describes an area as being up on the mountain where the air, <laughs> where is, the rare. air is rare. And I threw my book across <laughs> the coffee <laughs> shop. Uh, so. The the short version of this is Jamie joins a band. Jamie mm-hmm. plays rhythm guitar. The Chrome for Roses, <laughs> formerly the, the Gunslingers. Gunslingers. So cool. <laughs> and he gets a girlfriend. And he, yeah. Who Astrid. isn't interested in him until he plays guitar naturally. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets a car. Yeah, he gets a car with the but <laughs> but Claire has to deliver the promise. From the mom, because the mom's Which too is embarrassed. Adorable. <laughs> and it says you have to promise not to get her pregnant in the backseat. <laughs> oh, leading to the grossest, the grossest uh phrase and the most Kingian. Recess. Oh yeah, that that's their code for hand stuff. <laughs> oh, God. And was this super the- gross, Stephen King? <laughs> was this the part where Claire kind of turns around that stereotype? On her mother, where she's telling her, oh, then you yeah. have to keep Con and Andy from going. They might get a girl pregnant. Yeah. Because <laughs> they don't want Jamie to play at this bar, I think it is. Like, he has to have permission from them. Well, it's right. all, they, they were going to swim at a pool at the country oh, that's club what it is. or something. Yeah. And she says, oh, the those girls wear bikinis. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and Claire's like, I want a bikini. And she says, that's how girls get pregnant. And she says, well, you should keep Con and Andy home. <laughs> yeah. Or else they'll get a girl pregnant. Yeah, it's She's like, like, put some of that well, responsibility on the boys, too. Yeah. That's <laughs> so perfect. Yeah, all the family stuff. The Jamie's family, the Mortons, are so uh, just wholesome mm-hmm. and uh, and great. So after all this wonderful family stuff, and we, we get this, this is the part that was like very Joyland. It's, it's, you know, the, that life story of a completely normal kid and they're completely normal kind of growing up. And it's, it's 
makes you so invested in his life. Uh, and we get to the point where, uh, even though, you know, he promised he wouldn't get her pregnant in the backseat, they've never had sex because she wasn't on birth control and, and neither one of them wanted that risk. But then Jamie remembers something that Jacob's told him about right before he left. And he told him about the sky top, that there's this area out by the country club overlooking a cliff and there's a, a, a iron rod in the side of the mountain that's been there forever, but there's no rust on it because it attracts electricity and lightning strikes it. And it's beautiful. But if you stare right at it, you might go blind during the lightning strike. And they, they kind of know their, their time's coming to an end as a couple because he and Astrid have been dating. They're 17, 18 now, and uh, they're both going to go off to college and they, he takes her up there and it's storming and they watch the lightning strike and it's beautiful and it's epic and then they lose their virginity on a gross mattress <laughs> in a cabin nearby. But how how can you not get pregnant to that scene? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I just the also the fact that they reference they aren't the only ones who've probably done yeah. it on that gross mattress Ugh. in a cabin with barely a roof. That is soggy and gross. I, I <laughs> super think, gross. I think our age is showing. <laughs> yeah, right. But I, and I, but I like how how mature he also is about talking about that, uh, you know, when they went off to college, like she says at, on the way home, I'm glad you were my first. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't register to him what the what the underlying meaning of that is, <laughs> which is my first of many. Right. <laughs> he's he's cool about it, though, which yeah. is nice. He, it's not like when Devin from Joyland is like, oh, I should have raped her. Don't go. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah. But he, you know, it, it's the same thing with the band. When he goes off to college, he accepts that people grow apart, things grow apart, and things just move on. Then we flash forward to he's graduated college, he's touring out on the road, and he has spent the last 14 years doing hard drugs and rock and roll. Yep. Title card, 14 years later. <laughs> Jamie wakes up in a shitty motel and uh he's peed the bed I think. he's yep. kissed his pants yeah. and been fired from the crappy country western band that he was playing <laughs> white <for>. lightning <laughs> okay <laughs> i wanted to write down just a list of all of the band names. so many band names so many band <laughs> names none of them good no so he yeah like you said he gets fired with a note slipped under the door that's like hey we've moved on to the next gig uh, don't bother coming after us. At least they paid him. They did his portion, which he <laughs> he then like he doesn't want to use it to pay for another night in the room. He wants to use it to score, and so he tries mm-hmm. to give the lady at the counter his credit card, and it doesn't work. And he's like, "Well, try it again." And she's like, "Honey, I can look at you, and no, I don't need to try it again." Yeah. yeah. We also find out that he uh, like the kind of the road to his his addiction that he was in a motorcycle accident and he. Uh, broke his leg in five places and shattered his hip and the pain was bad. And so he got morphine and then morphine wasn't enough. And, and he like th- this, this very natural, I won't say blameless progression mm-hmm. of his addiction, but it's, it's, it's very, uh, I don't know. It, it, I feel like it's, it's a very natural story. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's the saddest way you can get addicted mm-hmm. to heroin. Well, yeah. something a lot of people can relate to because that's mm-hmm. how a lot of that starts. Blameless is an interesting choice of words, too, because uh, it's really 
testament to King's writing and this character and how much I, I enjoy the character because I feel like there are so many books and TV shows and movies that would write this junkie character and be like, what a piece of shit this guy is, you know? Yeah. But you never get that feeling from Jamie. Yes, he is a junkie. Yes, he's fallen on hard times. But even when he's like, this is basically pretty close to rock bottom for him. But he never is like, well, fuck all this. Fuck this band for kicking me out. I can't believe Mm -hmm. they did this to me. He's just like, yep, I stopped showing up to shows. And... I the I I was unreliable and this is this is just how it was. He humanizes him. Yeah. Which is not surprising considering King's own history with that. True. True. Now we return the fifth business. Ooh. As he's going through the fair, he hears a crack of electricity and sees a small uh like sees blue lightning somewhere and he sees a crowd, so he goes. And there he sees Reverend Jacobs with a big sign that says portraits in lightning. And this scene is so fucking cool. <laughs> and he there's on the wall, there's a 20 foot tall image of a woman in, in a ball gown. And he gets a female volunteer, sits her in a chair, blindfolds her and it takes a picture. And as he does this, the 20 foot tall woman turns around and has the girl's face and then gives her the a picture of her. Like, even though she's been blindfolded, like her face is obscured. This picture he took of her that he hands her is her in that ball gown. Mm-hmm. And he's like, this one's free, but for all you ladies, like it'll, it'll cost you, but it'll last forever. And Jamie's just working his way through the crowd. Like he cannot believe he is seeing him. And I like that he he makes a point of saying that, like, as Jacob's face is going through the crowd, he, like, stops on Jamie just for a moment. No, a hesitation no one else would have noticed and and moves on. I think it's cool, too, where Jamie's describing he feels like the crowd is parting for him as he's yeah. making his way towards Jacob's. But then he acknowledges as probably like stumbling and <laughs> <elbowing> people <Right. laughs> like, out of my way in my stupor. It's it's such a cool scene. Uh, that ends with Jamie um, passing out and waking up the next day in Danny Jacobs' trailer. And the first thing he says when he wakes up is, I need to score. Mm-hmm. And, and the, immediately followed by his writing saying, this is not the way I wanted to be reintroduced <laughs> to my former pastor after almost 20 years. Jacobs reveals that uh, Daniel is his middle name. So he's been going by Danny Jacobs doing the sideshow act and he even has some road heroin that mm-hmm. he can go ahead and give, uh, give Jamie a couple bumps on to keep him from going through detox. And he just says, he basically just like, Hey, I know this is happening to you. I can fix this with electricity. How can you not be so intrigued by what is, how, how is electricity going to stop an addict? I was so intrigued and curious about what he was going to do. And if we were going to find out through what he was doing, how that picture thing worked. Because I, okay, I'm a sucker for magic shows. I love watching magicians. (laughs) Anytime we go anywhere, like on a trip, 
I want to go see a show. No one else gives a shit. So <laughs> I, and I'm like caught in this weird place. I'm very inquisitive. I want to know how they do it. But if they start to tell me, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Keep the magic. <laughs> uh, well, I, I won't go too far into it, but I will say you won't be disappointed then. Uh, <laughs> I kind of am. Because uh, without going into, this is another thing we will talk about at length in the second episode. Secret electricity becomes the central concern of the second half of this book. But it is never explained better than that. It's just like, it's electricity, but it's magic. Don't worry about it. And it drives me insane. (laughs) Because it's a cool idea he he talks about um at some point in this first half he says you know electricity it's a mystery we it's everywhere we take it for granted but we don't know what the hell it is we know that it's electrons moving from place to place but what are electrons what are electrons made out of subatomic particles what are those made out of we don't know and that's a cool idea yeah but it is not really super it's it's left too up to your imagination in my sure. opinion all right we'll get into yeah, it yeah we'll get to it uh, but essentially he he takes him to his shop puts headphones on him runs electricity <laughs> through him uh and then offers him the heroin and he's like no nah, man i'm good like like it's just such a casual dismissal of the offer of heroin uh and i i love that he describes that the bottle of heroin he does he says it's not it's no longer an object of desire it's just an object. But what the way that he comes out of this treatment is so cool because he doesn't black out or anything and he didn't have any sense of time passing. It just he heard a click in his ears really, really loud. And then all of a sudden there's Jacobs and he has like no idea that the treatment even happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He like knows he feels like something's gone wrong in his brain and he keeps saying something. Something, something happened, happened, happened. And something Jacobs happened. has to slap him <laughs> to get him to stop. Yeah. And then he has like these weird body ticks for a little bit after that where his arm just shoots straight up into the air like he has a pressing question to ask. And he'll wake up in the middle of the night stabbing that, himself in okay. the arm. See, with a rubber hose around point, his forearm. This is a point where it starts to get like mm-hmm. I had noticed that there wasn't a lot of like spooky sort of normal Stephen King things in it. And it reminded me a lot of Joyland for that reason. And this is where we start to get into that kind of creepy, cool stuff. Yeah. Because he wakes up in the middle of the night. He's like walked through glass and his foot is bleeding. And he's standing with no pants on (laughs) or anything else (laughs) on his bottom half with a thing tied around his arm. And he's poking himself over and over in the arm with a fork. And just saying something happened, something Mm -hmm. happened. And he just says that he can feel in that split second after waking up and coming to as though not only had he lost time, but almost as though he had been taken over. Something had come into him and brought him out here and stared up at the moon and stabbed himself as though it was trying to recreate this thing that had been rewritten in his brain. Yeah. It's so very strange. It's very otherworldly. I did like that quite a bit. (laughs) Oh, Ben, you seemed like you wanted to talk about a specific thing that occurs in the book. And there's something that follows it that is so like 
horror Stephen King E that I can't wait to get to it. So if you want to describe that dream. Yes. Uh, after he has this treatment, he's completely cured uh, of his heroin addiction. He has no withdrawal symptoms. He's just fixed. For the rest though, of his life. Uh, for the rest of it. He says, even as an old man, he has never gone back to it. There are these side effects. And one of the side effects is for the remainder of his life uh, or well, I guess no. Uh, it, it recurs. He has this recurring dream, this recurring nightmare of returning to his childhood home, and he comes up, and the place is uh, empty on the outside, and he knows that he had come for his father's wake or his father's funeral, yeah. but there aren't enough people there, and he says something feels wrong, and as he's entering the house, he he realizes what's happening and he tries to stop himself and he can't and it's very reminiscent of the stark dream yeah (laughs) Uh, but he goes into the house and on the table is a birthday cake right a rotting rotting birthday cake and around the table is his family after they had died his mother uh skinny and um obviously suffering from the late stage cancer that killed her his father old and wizened his brother andy who hasn't died yet in the book he died he has this dream before his brother andy dies and in the dream his brother andy says i died that it was the the colon cancer prostate cancer prostate cancer that killed me and he, after he has this dream, he calls Andy a bunch of times. It's like, you have to get checked for pro- <laughs> for prostate cancer. Uh, and Claire, with half of her face missing, because she had been murdered by her ex-husband, who... Uh, then killed a, himself. <laughs> then killed himself. But they're all gathered around this table, and they're, they, they say, happy birthday, Jamie. Happy birthday. Uh... And they they sing happy birthday, but they say something happened to you, <laughs> which I, just, I don't know if I think that is ridiculous. It's so, so goofy, sinister, but it's really upsetting. Yes. It's really creepy. It's written so well. And then he the, there's something that follows it that's so spooky that it's not as ridiculous as we made it sound just because <laughs> he's so he wakes up from these dreams and he has to like have this conversation with himself, like this compromise where, you know, okay, it's it's worth it because I'm cured. I'm not on drugs anymore. Mm. And, you know, if this is what I have to suffer for it, it's worth it, right? And it's like he's trying to convince himself. And so he says that he he thinks of it that way, but it's in the immediate aftermath that he feels something lurking behind the dream, something malevolent and female. He was sure of that even then. Yeah, and that reminded me of some awesome. like, okay, are we talking some Dark Tower style like. Some body this piloting. Is yeah. something we will talk about at <laughs> length. Okay. But there's also right at that section, I believe, is uh, the thing I mentioned earlier that we will talk about. Uh, next episode is that he says like in that moment, he says it was worth it. To be cured, but sometimes in that immediate aftermath, I I wished I it had killed me. Yeah. But that feeling goes away. So 
remind me next episode <laughs> to tell you why that line is bullshit. Got it. Okay, we'll put a pin in that. All too. right. Yeah. Uh, Jacobs ends up abandoning him, kind of like his old band did. Gives him a train ticket to Denver. Says, "This guy owes me a favor. He'll give you a job." Turns out, this job is at a place called Wolfjaw Ranch. Which is a working ranch, but it's also a recording studio. Up where the air is rare. God damn it, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> he he meets uh, his his boss, his new boss, Hugh Yates, who's the owner. Who reminded he, me a lot of the manager from Joyland. Easterbrook. Easterbrook. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and basically says, hey, you, you can come on and work here because I owe Jacobs a, a debt. That cannot be repaid. And if this is what he says will square it, as long as you don't use heroin, you know, we're, we're going to teach you to to run these recording studios and and be a part of this business and, and change your life. And one day he gets a call to go to his boss's office and the secretary is basically like he I don't know what's happening. Like he's <laughs> like that sounds like he was throwing stuff and like he's like been like talking to no one. And the guy goes in and he's like, all right, I'm going to show you this. Come around to the computer. And on his computer is a web page talking about the Jacobs Healing Revival Tour. And it is going to be coming into Denver in a few days. And they're going to go. And they're going to go. And uh, there's these videos of him curing a kid with muscular dystrophy. And he's wearing these two rings on his his ring fingers and then putting his hands on the side of the, the kid's head. And then the kid stands up and throws away his walker. And there's all this stuff. And and we find out that Hugh has undergone a treatment of his own. And they make the deal. We will swap stories. A hundred percent transparent info. We will believe each other because we both think our story is unbelievable. And then we're going to go. We're not going to talk to him, but we're going to go. So it turns out that uh, Hugh Yates was a member of a band on the verge of stardom. What were their name? Uh, It was uh, the Johnson Cats. (laughs) (laughs) The worst. It's a great name. No, it is not. Uh, But they they get they're going to go on tour. This like huge tour. And Hugh goes deaf. Which is so tragic. That's such a terrible thing to happen to a musician. And then he is apparently fated, maybe, or maybe it's just coincidence, to meet Jacobs. He's he's he has this like little um, electric New and used electronic shop. store. Yeah. yeah, and he stumbles into his shop, and he gets he has like vertigo and nausea and all these problems that come with his hearing issue, and he ends up toppling over, and Jacob kind of comes to his aid and then asks him, he's like basically the same thing with Jamie. Like, well, I can fix it. Yep. And then he undergoes a treatment, gets his hearing back. And Hugh has that say, like their story is so parallel. Cause he's also like, I was thinking about killing myself because I can't stand this, the, the pain anymore because his deafness isn't silence. It is, it's ringing and pulsing. And he, he was thinking about ending it anyway. So he's like, if this kills me, I was going to kill myself anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's people who have nothing to lose and virtually everything to gain. Mm-hmm. And his side effect is seeing prismatic colors. Like all of a sudden his eyes will just as though he's seeing colors in a dimension that doesn't exist. Now, uh, I'm going to ask you guys this. I know, CM, you've read this book. I think we've talked about it, Josh. But listeners, um, tell me if this description, he says that 
the edges around things become colorful and they radiate these auras of of colors and you almost can see through uh to something behind it how much did that remind you of our friend Ralph from Insomnia from <laughs> The One book of my insomnia. Favorites. That's gonna be a five out of five Lucian. Oh, I, I, <laughs> well, wow! I'm real excited about that one. <laughs> so they've swapped their stories, and now they're gonna go see Jacobs, and that's where we'll pick up on the next episode. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next episode for part two of Revival, covering the rest of the book. For Benjamin Graham and Joshua Khan, I'm CM Alexander, reminding you that frightened people live in their own special hell. You could say they make it themselves, but they can't help it. It's the way they're built. They deserve sympathy and compassion. Hey everyone, Sam Alexander here. Thank you for listening to part one of Revival. I thought it'd be fun to list off all the great band names Jamie mentioned. And there's an interesting bit of trivia about Stephen King and bands at the end of this list. And you may not be familiar with this info. Okay, here we go. Chrome Roses, The Gunslingers, J-Tones, Robin and the Jays, Hey Jays, The Craters, The Stiffs, The Undertakers, Last Call, Andersonville Rockers, Patsy Cline's Lipstick, Test Tube Babies, Afterbirth, The World is Full of Bricks, Does Does Call the Fuzz, and White Lightning. Did you know that Stephen King was in a band? It was called Rock Bottom Remainders and it was comprised of a rotating cast of published writers. They played for about 20 years and played shows to raise money. That whole E-string thing is making a little more sense now, isn't it? As always, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio or Twitter at Dairy Public. You can also send questions to our email, dairypublicradio at gmail.com. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye. <laughs>